Hundreds of years ago, medieval map makers were tasked with plotting uncharted territory. These ancient cartographers depicted the terrain of the globe. As craggy mountain ranges and lush forests sharpened into view, some areas remained untold and unknown. Anything hidden or mysterious was branded with three stark words, here be dragons. Welcome to Cross Point. I feel like I need to start the service today with a confession, with a moment of repentance. I just need to say that I'm sorry for how I treated soccer players in high school. I just, um, <laughs> I was not kind, made fun of their short shorts and their tall socks and the way they just flopped on the ground and faked injuries. I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm not trying to excuse it. I'm just explaining it. I just, uh, I just was not real kind. And, um, and all that changed. All that changed on Tuesday, August 8th, 2023. A friend of mine, Chris Redditch, who attends the church, part of the church, um, he and his wife, he and his wife Lexi, they met each other on the guest experience team and uh, serving the guest experience team. Um, for all you, you know, single folks, just so you hear that, they met each other serving on the guest experience team. And they, uh, they, Mary now Chris is one of the owners of the National Soccer Club, and he invited me to go to one of the, one of the games. And, uh, and so I, uh, I, I was like, well, yeah, I'll go, my first, you know, first one. And so um, he said, meet at his house, and we drove. We parked up right next to the, you know, Jodas Park, right next to the stadium. We went in, and we had, like, club-level seats, I mean, just great seats, and, uh, and all-you-can-eat food. And uh, so it was already the best thing that I've been to in a long time, like, just eating all you can. And, and, then, we, uh, and then we went down, and the, and the match started. And it was, it was actually during the, the League's Cup. Um, they would play it. It was, you were there, or you know. <laughs> And they were playing, um, just so I get this right, Club America out of Mexico City, and the whole place was just electric, and it was so hype, and it was incredible. And by the time I left, I'm like, I'm a fan. I am a fan. And then it was later on that week, Ree was talking about, it was coming up on Friday, and, uh, and Ree was asking me, she was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, uh, she said, this is the last weekend with the girls before they go back to college. What do you want to do as a family? I'm like, we're going to go to a soccer match. <laughs> and, uh, and so I went on ticket, Ticketmaster, and I bought tickets for our whole family, all six of us, to go to that match. And uh, we can't pay for them to go to college anymore, but we got we got. <laughs> <laughs> We've got, uh, we've got seats, and it was, um, it was, it was another, just a great, like, we had an incredible time as a family, made some memories together, and, uh, and so they won that, which, uh, which means they advanced in the tournament and went to the, to the finals, and this means the next match was set, and uh, Nashville Soccer Club was playing Miami. Now, you know who plays for Miami? Um, Messi. And so I was talking to my boys. I was like, man, they're playing um, Lionel Messi. And they're like, Dad, it's not Lionel. Like Lionel Richie. And uh, so I'm new to this. I don't, I don't know. Leo, you know. And, uh, but but as, as, as we started talking about it, I was like, you know what? I'm going to surprise them. And I'm going to get tickets for the three of us to go. So I went on super early, right when the tickets came out. And I got the cheapest seats available, general admission, standing room only, in the supporter section. Now, the supporter section is in the, I don't know, like, 
like end zone, I don't know what you call it, but like it's back in the back, in the back. and the supportive section, they're the people that are just going crazy, losing their mind, painted up with a luchador mask on, banging drums, right, and fireworks, like these are the people, they are crazy, crazy, and so this is where we were, and I'm telling you, it was one of the most incredible sporting events that I've been to in my entire, entire life, and um, and then it occurred to me after those two weeks that I went to three soccer matches in 12 days. I went from cynic to skeptic to, um, to observer to casual attender to fan to supporter. Like, I did that in 12 days. <laughs> And it was, it was, I mean, I, I, it had me, it had me, I got, I got a jersey, I wore the jersey, watched this thing three times in 12 days, most I've watched anything in my, my entire life, so I got, I got the jersey, I went up in the attic looking for my luchador mask, and you don't even need to worry about why I have a luchador mask in my attic, but I, I was, I was, I was going, I was like, man, I wish I could get a soccer mullet, I mean, I was just, I was so into what's going on, and um, I was finding Financially invested, I went from being a critic to being a full-blown fan. Today is Baptism Sunday, and Baptism Sunday is one of the days out of the year, it's one of our favorite weekends, when people have an opportunity to go public in their faith, when they have an opportunity to, uh, to put on the jersey and say, I'm not just a fan of Jesus, I'm a follower. I'm going to follow Jesus, and I don't care who knows, I want everybody to know that I'm following Jesus, that I've given him my life, and not just so that I can sit in the stands, but so I can be on the field, so I can be on the field of faith. And so we celebrate in here, um, we celebrate when people make that decision to go public with their faith. And in fact, in Scripture, it talks about all of heaven celebrates that. And so we love Baptism Sunday. And the reality is maybe you didn't plan to be baptized today, but there's an opportunity for you at the end of service, and we want to welcome you to respond. However, God would lead you to take that next step, because your next step of faith is your best step of faith, whatever that next step is for you. You know, we... Uh, we're looking at these Old Testament figures we've been going through over the past couple weeks and, the, and looking at these stories of the Old Testament talk about how do we navigate uncertainty in our lives? How do we take the next step that God has for us? And so we've looked at several. And today we're going to look at Joshua, the story of Joshua in the Old Testament. And Joshua is one who, who took a next step of faith. And I'm not sure where your next step is. Maybe it's in family or maybe your next step is in a relationship. Maybe your next step that God's called you to is in career or maybe it's in fitness. I don't know where God's leading you financially in that next step, but my prayer for you is that you would have a sense from God. Maybe just even ask him right now, God, what's my next step? And then that while we're here, he would put the courage, he would deposit the courage in your heart, say, be strong and courageous to take that next step. So we're going to look at the story of Joshua. You can actually turn there if you've got a Bible. We're going to look at Joshua chapter one. There's a book that tells his story, and, uh, and we're going to, to get there, I need to give you a recap. We've, we've been over this, over the past few weeks, we've been working through this, so I'm going to give you a map and a recap. We began with Abram, his name was Abram, God changed his name to Abraham, and he said, I want you to leave your hometown, I want you to leave where you're from, I want you to let go of the past, and I want you to step into the new, and so you're going to have to leave everything that you've ever known, which would have been in Mesopotamia, which would have been modern day Iraq, you have to leave all of that, and I'm going to lead you to the promised land. God promised him a land, and he promised him offspring, he promised that he 
would be a father of a nation and gave him that promise and the son that God gave him later on in life, the son, his name was Isaac. And Isaac was his son and Isaac had a son named Jacob. Now Jacob was the father of 12 sons, which where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob had the father, was the father of 12 sons and God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And his, one of his sons, name was Joseph, he was, it was his favorite son, and that didn't go well with the other brothers, so the other 11 brothers sold him into slavery and faked his death, sold him into slavery, and Joseph was taken down to Egypt as a slave. So in Egypt, he was actually in Potiphar's house. He went from the pit, his brother sold him to the slave, Potiphar's house. Then he went, I almost said Pottery Barn, not that. Potiphar's house, that's a different place. He went to Potiphar's house, and then from Potiphar's house, he went to prison, and then after prison, he ended up going and being, getting a promotion. He was second in command overall. Wild story. You can look, go back and check it out last week. He went to second in command over Pharaoh's household. And in Pharaoh's household, he was, uh, he was in that position when his brothers, because of a famine in Canaan, his brothers went to go. They, they heard they have grain in Egypt. They went to Egypt, tra traveled those 400 miles to get to Egypt. And when they found, they found their brother the one that they had sold into slavery 22 years later. And Joseph tells them, he gives them this word, he said, what you meant for evil, God used for good. He's brought me here to save your lives. Beautiful story of reconciliation and forgiveness. Joseph and his brothers are reconciled. Jacob and all the other sons, all of their families come to Egypt, and when they're there, they flourish. They multiply. God blesses them there into a nation. And the nation of Israel... The people there, they grow to a million people, over 400 years, a million people. And they're eventually enslaved in Egypt. We're like, well, how did they become enslaved in Egypt? In Exodus, the story of the Exodus, verse 8, it tells us how this happened. It says, then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. All it took was for a king to forget about Joseph and to forget about Joseph's God. We are one generation away. All it takes is for a generation to forget about who God is, who Jesus is, to forget the truth, to lose our story, to lose a sense of where we're at in the story of God, and to lose a sense of the God of our story, the one who made us. And, how did they, and they, they ended up enslaving the Hebrew people. Well, God hears the cry of the Israelites, and he raises up a leader, Moses, to go toe-to-toe -to, -toe to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. Pharaoh receives God's judgment because he continues to say no, finally relents and sends the people of God, releases them to go with Moses. He ends up relenting on that and goes back and he's going to bring them back into captivity and Moses is leading the nation of Israel and the, the, <laughs> the Red Sea is in front of them, Pharaoh and his chariots and his armies at their heels. Moses raises up a staff and when he raises up the staff, the Red Sea parts, and God's people go through the Red Sea. And after they get through, Pharaoh and his armies in pursuit, the waters swallow them up, and God destroys their enemies and sets them free, and they're on their way to the promised land. God is calling them to be at home with him. And they're in this journey, in the journey of moving to the promise, promised land, but it takes longer than what it should have. God, God takes them the longer route. In fact, check out this verse in Exodus 13, verse 17. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter, for God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. Another way to say this is God took them the long way. How do you know sometimes God takes us the long way? God took them the longer route because if he knew if they took the shortcut, they would face battles that they weren't ready for yet. 
They would face enemies that they weren't ready for yet. Sometimes what we call a delay is God's direction in our lives. What we call a delay is really God's mercy because God is building in us the scaffolding to be able to handle the blessing. And so sometimes God will take us the long way. But did you know you can always trust his timing? He is never late. He's rarely early. He's always on time. One of our elders, Mitch, says it this way. He says, Kevin, he has this voice like a radio host. He says, Kevin, we serve an on-time God. I'm like, I just, I hear his voice sometimes when I'm frustrated that God has this way. And I'm like, Kevin, we serve an on-time God. I hope you hear that voice too. We have an on-time. He knows what he's doing in your story. God is working behind the scenes. You can trust his timing because what God wanted for the nation of Israel more than a parcel of land was he wanted their hearts. He wanted their hearts. He wants you to know him. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to walk with him. He wants your heart to be yielded to him. He wants you to walk in obedience. He wants you to live by faith. And sometimes God will take us the long way out of his mercy in our lives because he knows our level of maturity. He knows what we can handle. But as we trust him, sometimes God will take a long way. But what God does in the wilderness of our lives is he builds faith. I want you to see something. Moses is leading Israel. Moses was 80 when God called him to lead. So I don't know how old you are going on right, but Moses is just, he's beginning this assignment when he's 80. And so at 80, God calls him to lead, and he's leading the nation of Israel, and he has this apprentice named Joshua. Now, check out Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. It says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Now, we don't know how, jo- how old Joshua, exactly how old Joshua is. That's, we know Moses is 80, and I guess when you're 80, everybody's young. But let's just say Joshua is your age. Let's just say Joshua could be your age. And so Joshua, the young aide of Moses, the assistant of Moses, Moses, it says he's in the tent. He's in the tent of meeting. And the tent of meeting is where Moses would go and meet with God. He would talk to God. He would communicate with God. He would listen to God. It was a place where he experienced the presence of God and the power of God. It was where Moses went for counsel and direction and wisdom. Moses went there to pray, to meet with God. And Joshua, this is a detail about him, it says that he lingered at the tent. That Joshua's like, I don't want to leave the tent. Like Joshua experienced the presence of God, nearness to God. Joshua's like, I want to talk to God like Moses. I want to hear from God like Moses. If Moses can talk with God, well, then I can talk to God. He's like, Moses, I, he wanted to be as close as he could to the presence of God. So he lingered at the tent. And I believe that God is raising up a Joshua generation. He's raising up a generation and say, you know what, we want to linger with God too. And we saw it at Asbury back in earlier this year at Asbury College. There was this, a movement of God. There was a chapel service that was supposed to end around lunchtime, but it kept going for 400 hours. People came in from all over the nation, from all over the world. College students coming in. 70,000 people came to Wilmore, Kentucky. Where's Wilmore, Kentucky? Exactly. People coming from all over to the place and just lingering in the presence of God. People going, I don't want to leave the presence. I just want to be with God. I want more of God. What does it mean to linger with God? It just means don't be so quick to leave. Don't be so quick to leave a prayer time. Don't be so quick to leave time in his word. Don't be so quick to leave group. Don't be so quick to leave praise. Don't be so quick. And I don't know about you, but I know about me. There's this compelling sense of time urgency that I got to go do stuff. But you need to hear this, that there is no such thing as wasted time in the presence of God. 
Maybe God's invitation is saying, come waste some time with me. I mean, we know how to linger, don't we? We know how to linger at the table. We can linger at the, at the mall, linger at the store. We can linger in bed. We can linger on social media. We can linger in the news. We can linger in politics. We can linger in sports. We can linger on Netflix. We can linger with friends. We know how to linger. But do we know how to linger with God? They asked Jack Hayford, they said, how long do you spend in prayer in the mornings? He said, I stay there until my soul kisses heaven. Isn't that a good word? Maybe God's just looking for somebody who's willing to just linger a little bit. Just slow down, just linger. There's a scripture in 2 Chronicles that says, The eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God's going, who's fully committed? And here's what lingering does. Lingering, lingering is a reflection of our value system because we linger with what we love. We linger with what we love. We all linger with some things, and I think there's a generation that's figured out by now that, you know what, Snapchat and Instagram and TikTok, that lingering those places, the promises that they make, that if I linger those places, that I'm going to be fulfilled and satisfied, but really going, look, I leave, I leave more anxious and more empty, more distracted and discouraged. A generation is figuring out, when I linger in the presence of God, I'm filled up. And I'm encouraged in my heart, and there's hope. And God's invitation is to linger. That was his invitation to Joshua, and Joshua just lingered. I think God was just looking for somebody who was willing to linger with him. Moses lingered at the burning bush and said, I'm hanging out with this bush, and I'm trying to figure out why is this bush not burning, <laughs> not burning up. God found somebody who was willing to linger in his presence, and with Joshua, God's, maybe, maybe God's just looking for, <laughs> Joshua didn't know while he was lingering in his presence, God was shaping the next generation of Israel's leader. Because, okay, the linger principle, where you linger shapes you. If I linger at the table, it shapes me. Round is a shape. <laughs> where, I where I linger online, it shapes me. Who I linger with shapes me. Where we linger, who we linger with, it shapes us. When you linger with God, it shapes you as well. And who Joshua became, I believe God chose Joshua after the wilderness because Joshua chose God in the wilderness. He chose to linger with him. And God was forming his heart. And in Numbers chapter 13, we see how God shaped him. We see how God formed him. There's this great little story about Israel's on the edge of the promised land. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. And all that separates them is the Jordan River. And Moses goes and he gets 12 spies, one from each tribe in the nation of Israel. He says, I want you to go into the promised land. I want you to go see. I want you to scout it out. He tells them this. He says, the Lord has given us the land. Go scout it out and bring back a report. And so they go in the land. And for 40 days, they're, they're looking at the land. They come back with a report. And Joshua and Caleb are carrying grapes. This huge cluster of grapes, they're like, man, this is a land of milk and honey. This place is amazing. It's abundant. And the other 10 spies come back and they go, Do you, the walls are so big and the people there are huge. And this spirit of fear spreads throughout the people. But Joshua and Caleb, they just, they, they, they just, they tear their, they tear their clothes just to straw it, say, no, 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 this is the land. But the other 10 people had a grasshopper mentality. You know what a grasshopper mentality is? Here's what they said. They said, next to them we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. 
They had a grasshopper mentality. A grasshopper mentality is when we have an inaccurate view of ourselves because we have an inaccurate view of God. They saw themselves not as they were because they lost sight of who God is. They were more focused on their problems than they were the promises of God. They were more focused on the enemies that were in front of them than the God. They forgot, these ten forgot that they had a God who made their enemies look like grasshoppers. And so they were thinking, we look like grasshoppers. Did you see what they said? They said, we felt like grasshoppers, and the enemy thought of us that way too. How did they know what the enemy thought? That's what a spirit of fear will do. It'll have you trying to read other people's minds. And they were more concerned with what the enemy thought than what God thought. And as the people of God, like Joshua and Caleb, we ask the question, God, what do you think? And God gives the promise, I'm giving you the land, and we live and hold on to the promises of God. Joshua and Caleb were talking about the grapes. Other people were talking about the giants. Are you more focused on the giants or are you focused on the grapes? Are you more focused on the blessing of God and the promises of God and the presence of God and what he's given to you and what he's called you to? Or are we distracted? And the spirit of fear spread throughout the people because that's what a spirit of fear will do. It will spread throughout a community. It will spread throughout a nation. Spread throughout the people. They went to Moses. They said, we're going to find another leader and go back to Egypt. And because of their rebellion, because of what they did and not believing God and taking the land, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. It cost an entire generation. Joshua and Caleb were the only two that got to go into the promised land. But before Moses died, he gave Joshua the mantle of leadership, and Joshua becomes a leader for the nation of Israel. And then in Joshua chapter 1, over and over there's this refrain, and God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong. You know why God tells him be strong and courageous four times? Because he was afraid. Like he was afraid. Joshua, was, he was like you. He was like me. When we're doing something that we've ne he had never been the leader of the nation of Israel before. Whenever we do something that we've never done before, there's fear. That's natural. That is a natural human response. Courage is supernatural. And God says, be strong and courageous. In other words, I'm putting a heart of courage in you. God wants to give you courage. He wants to give you courage to take the next step. So God tells Joshua, tell the people to get ready, because we're going over. And they're there at the, it's been 40 years in the wilderness. They're at the, back where they were before. They're at the Jordan River. They're getting ready, and God says, tell the people to get ready. We're going to cross over the Jordan. It was in flood stage. So the Jordan River's in flood stage. It, is, it was impossible to get a million people across the Jordan River into the promised land. And God says, I want you to tell the people to get ready. I want you to tell the people to get ready to cross, to cross the Jordan. And this is the law of the first step. Here's the law of the first step, that oftentimes God will wait for us to take a first step before he shows up in power. Oftentimes God will require us to take a first step of faith before he shows up in power. And we're like, God, I want, you to, I want to see your power. I want to see you move. God, I want to experience your blessing. I want to experience the power of God in my life. Well, oftentimes God will require us to take a first step in faith before he shows up in power. And we all know what it's like to have a nudge to take a first step. Maybe it's to make a phone call to a friend, or maybe it's to encourage somebody, or maybe it's to help that single mom who lives next door, or maybe it's to pray for for a lady who's in the office, or maybe it's to, to invite your server to come and experience church, or maybe it's to, to leave a toxic relationship, or maybe it's to, to ask for, for prayer. 
down front after service, or maybe it's to adopt that child or go on that mission trip, or maybe it's to volunteer on a ministry team or to have a hard conversation with a family member, or maybe to get in a group or to, or to be baptized or to ask for help. Whenever we sense a nudge to take that first step, have you ever noticed how we all have an inner lawyer that just fires off and starts arguing all the reasons why not to take the step? And God's calling us to take that first step of faith, and it's after that first step he shows up in power. So Joshua tells the nation of Israel, all right, get ready. And they're like, what's the plan? And Joshua goes, here's what we're going to do. The priests are going to carry the Ark of the Covenant, which is the most holy piece of furniture in all of Israel, in all the world. It represents the, it represents the presence of God. You've seen Indiana Jones? You know what I'm talking about. And so they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the Levites, the priests are out in front. And he's saying, I want you to step into the Jordan River at flood stage. And when you step into the river, the waters are going to part. Now imagine as Joshua saying this plan of what God's downloaded to him, as he's saying this plan, they're looking at him and take the what? Because if this doesn't work, it's a bad plan. The Ark of the Covenant is going on like a river cruise down there, you know, like, and so they're like, what do we, we do what? And Joshua's saying, I bet when Joshua was hearing this from God, he's like, God, you know what would have been better is if we did like we did it with Moses? If we just raise a staff. Is there a stick somewhere I could pick up? Like, God's like, no, we're not going to raise a stick. We're going to take a step. How many times do we want God to do the thing that he did in the past? And so we reduce things to a formula, and God's saying, I'm doing a new thing. But for God to do a new thing in your life, you have to take new steps. If you want God to do a new thing in your life, you have to take new steps. You have to be willing to follow him. And so they, the priests are taking that ark, and they took that first step. And when they did, the waters parted, and the entire nation of Israel crossed over through the Jordan River. And God says, I want you to get one person from each tribe to go down and get a stone from the dry riverbed and go take that and set it up at Gilgal to be a memorial. Because when the next generation sees those stones and say, tell us what those stones are about, you tell them about the rescuing hand of God. Let's keep the story of faith alive for the next generation. You tell them about what God did. You point to those stones, and you tell the story about how God delivered you, about how God rescued you. But it requires that first step. Let me ask you a question. Where is God calling you to take a next step? If you don't know what that is, just listen to your fear. Your fear will tell you. And wherever that fear is, God's saying, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. The law of the first step is we take the first step of faith in response to God, and then he shows up. And power. It's an incredible story. I'll tell you what's wild is that if you traveled over to Israel and you asked one of the guides or one of the archaeologists and you asked them the question, where do you think, where do, where do scholars think that Joshua crossed over the Jordan River with the nation of Israel? They'll take you to a certain place on the planet. And then if you ask them, where was Jesus baptized in the Jordan River? They'd say somewhere around here. The very place, come on, this was, not, this was not a random coincidence. This is the hand of God. This is the plan of God. That Jesus would be baptized in the place where the nation of Israel went from Egypt and being slaves to freedom. That Jesus was baptized in that place where people went from death to life, where they went into the promises of God. That Jesus was baptized in that very place and when Jesus was baptized, the Father said, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And the Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and that was the beginning of his ministry. It's an amazing moment. 
And what's wild about the Jesus-Joshua connection is that Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yeshua. It's Yeshua. Jesus is the Greek pronunciation, it comes from the Greek pronunciation of Yeshua. Do you know what Joshua's name is in Hebrew? Yeshua. Joshua is the English pronunciation of Yeshua. (laughs) That Jesus is the true and better Joshua who has crossed over for us. And through the cross and an empty tomb, he defeated the giants of sin and death and hell so that we can receive the power of God, the resurrection life of God in our lives, that he set us free from Egypt and we can live in the promises of God and we can be with him forever, which is his promise. But it is by faith that we are saved. When we put our faith in the Son of God and what Jesus already did for us. So Jesus was baptized at the beginning of his ministry. At the end of his ministry, Jesus, was, Jesus said to the disciples, I want you to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And for 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have been baptized. For 2,000 years, people have been going public with their faith in Jesus through believers' baptism. And it's still happening today. Stories of people finding salvation and transformation. And there's a story I want to share with you. It's Rick's story and his baptism last week. Check this out. (laughs) Hi, I'm Rick. I'm Kristen, and we're from the Boston area. On November 22nd, I had left my home. I had left my wife and two-year-old son at that time and I was living in a hotel. And I had done some things that I'm not proud of, and I knew at that moment that I needed a lot, a lot of help. I had no control over the addiction that I was denying that I had for a majority of my life. On the 21st, I spoke to a woman who recommended me to the ranch in Nunley, Tennessee. I didn't know what I was walking into, I didn't know if I was going to be judged. I didn't know how I'd feel not seeing my son for, I I had no idea how long. But what I found was love and support from the people that were suffering from the same things I was. It was the first time where I didn't feel alone. I lived with so much shame and guilt because I was just so afraid that people wouldn't accept me or love me if they knew who I was. Sunday is the one and only time at at that treatment facility you get access to television. The behavioral health technician had said that we watch a local church. It was a very powerful message on addiction and shame and not waiting for the perfect time to go back to Jesus. But when it really hit me that going back to Jesus was my calling was when the day of the episode was aired, which none of us knew at the time, but it was November 22nd, 2020. And that was the exact day that I hit rock bottom. Someone was looking after me at that moment. And I know who that person was, it was Jesus. We met two years ago this month. It was really interesting to finally talk and get each other to open up. There was one night, he said, I want you to see something. And he shared with me that specific sermon from November 22nd. 
I had said to Kristen that I feel like my calling is to travel to Crosspoint from Boston and I knew that I needed to get baptized. It was at a moment when I knew that I was no longer going to let the past dictate who I was today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He wasn't always present. His mind was elsewhere. And it's just been amazing to watch that growth. He's been able to now truly be available and present. And it's really changed our boys' lives and both of our lives. Baptism to me means rebirth. It means moving on from your past, no matter how haunting it was to someone that is suffering from any type of addiction. I would say surrender. There's never a perfect time. Go to Jesus just with all of your, your imperfections. Just to be clear, um, it's not baptism that saves us. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And baptism is going public with that faith. And so let me give you three reasons to, to be baptized. Um, the first one is that Jesus was baptized, and we are followers of Jesus. And he is our example. We, uh, we follow him. And so that's the first reason. Second is because Jesus commands it. He said, go in all the world, make disciples, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we, Jesus commands it. The third is, do you really need a third? <laughs> Maybe for you, it's um, it's day to take that next step, if you haven't already. Um, um, this jersey has my name on it. It's personalized. I've had this jersey for three years. Chris gave me this jersey when they founded the club, and because I wasn't a fan, I took the jersey and I crumbled it up, and it has sat in my drawer for three years. But things changed now. I got the jersey out, and I'll wear the jersey. Maybe the day um, faith has been crumbled up, faith in Jesus has been crumbled up in the, in the drawer for you. And today's the day to take faith out, and faith becomes public, and putting your faith in Jesus. And, we, um, around here we have jerseys that we love to give you one that says anything's possible because the same Jesus that saved Rick, he can save you. And as Rick went public, you can go public as well. And you don't clean your life up before you come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and he cleans you. He transforms you. So if you've never had a moment like that, we want to invite you today and celebrate those who do. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love for us that's on display on the cross. Jesus, we thank you that you defeated sin and death and hell. We thank you that anything's possible. God, I pray that today that you would give courage for those who you're calling and drawing to yourself, that you would give them the strength and the courage to take that first step. God, I pray that as we as we see life change, that we would celebrate it, that we would celebrate what you're doing, that up there would come down here in our celebration. And God, that we would rejoice as all of heaven rejoices when even one comes to repentance, when even one returns home to you. And so we pray, Jesus, have your way. Have your way in this place. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen.